Welcome to Conversations Beyond the Veil. I'm your host, Sayo Nickerson. We hope that you will join Brandon, Victoria, and I as we aim to make sense of the past, age-old mysteries, and historical figures through mediumship, where we chat with beings or spirits on the other side who have a story to tell. We never know where it's going to go, and we hope that you will come along for the ride. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations Beyond the Veil. And this week, we decided to speak with Galileo. We don't know, I mean, I guess there's a fair amount of information about Galileo out there, but you know, he was around hundreds of years ago. So I always like doing those ones. This one was so fascinating to me just because of the parallels between what was happening in his time and then what's happening in our time. And of course, from the other side, they always give us some good advice yeah. and insight into where we are right now. What did you think of this? Well, I first learned of Galileo through the Indigo Girls song, which I loved. I sing it a million times. And because of that song, I actually did some research on Galileo and watched some documentaries like years ago. And yeah, I really love this episode because it, it sheds light on like what you're saying, what's happening today and what happens with censorship. And even though he's right, even though we know today that bad things happened to him, even though he was correct in his assessments. Yet, at that time, people pushed him away, threw him in jail, all that jazz. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's very interesting to listen to his perspective. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, um, Galileo is, I think, a really important figure in history because he's kind of at the forefront of... Maybe the development of the sciences, even, we would say, uh, just when all of that was getting really going. So he's, he was born in the 1500s and lived into the 1600s. He was a philosopher, an astronomer, a mathematician, an artist, and um, made all kinds of discoveries. He's most famous for having uh, stood his ground and, and saying that the sun does not revolve around the earth, as people at the time like to believe, but that it's the other way around, that the earth revolves around the sun. And that got him in a lot of trouble at the time. But of course, now we know that that's the truth. Um, he also invented like telescopes, um, microscopes, different versions of them. Uh, he's considered to be the father of the scientific method, which that's a bit of a big deal. So yeah, incredibly intelligent and I think very sure of himself and what he stood for. He's a really interesting fellow, actually. So hope you enjoy this episode. Enjoy. Here we are today with this week's episode. We are going to speak with Galileo. Vic, what do you know about Galileo? That he's in the song Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> Galileo. <laughs> um, yes, he is mentioned in the song Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Ten points for that. Um, we were just talking too that there's an Indigo Girls song. Which, yeah. yeah that, that's from our generation, yeah. not yours. <laughs> um, you would love their music. I knew you would. Okay, what else do you know? You mentioned something about... Um, something about planets, astrology. Well, is it well, even astrology? I would astrology. say it's, it's no. astronomy, yeah. I would call it astrology. <laughs> <laughs> something about Venus, Jupiter, and some moons or something. Very good. Oh. Very good. All right, well, that is the extent of 
Victoria's <laughs> knowledge about Galileo. So we'll see if we learn anything more through talking with him. So. Yeah, I, I like doing these ones where they're a bit further back in time because they lived they lived in a world that was so different from our own. And so any kind of insight that they give us into how their life was, I find really fascinating. So uh, yeah, look forward to it and we'll just dive in. Okay, we'll just go in. Okay. Do you know what his first name is? Or is that his first name? It's a very long name. And my phone is there. Where's my other phone? I was just thinking to call him in by his full name. Galileo Galilei. Okay. Is how he's often referred to, but it's actually like an extra four names or something okay. like that. You can say it. Galileo is his first name. And I'll say it all. Galileo di Vincenzo Bonatti di Galilei. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Italian. Amazing. Okay. It doesn't feel like a very simple knock at the door and he answers kind of feeling. I feel like if you just start and actually ask some questions, like what would you like to know about, that might pull him out a bit more. Maybe his love of astronomy, maybe that'll pull him out. When did you, as a child, when did you find that, well, find your love for the stars? Okay, before I answer that, I'm just feeling into his energy on whether or not he wants to talk about it. And I'm just wondering, is there stuff of his that he said that has been disproved since then? Yeah, but nothing, like, more than anything, he's um, been applauded for what he did say at the time. And he's considered to be, like, the father of <clears throat> modern science and of physics and, like, his influence and recognition from scientists that have come after him has been widely recognized. Do you want me to look up to see if there's anything been disproved? There are. I mean, there's certain things that, like, you know, he had a, a theory about how the ocean tides worked, and it, it was not correct. And there's, you know, like, because he put forward so many different theories, and some of them were able to be proven to be correct, and others were not. But it's much more heavily weighted on the correct side. Okay, so people generally applaud him, but there's just this feeling from him of, I just feel him hiding a bit, like he doesn't really want to talk, and I'm wondering if that is linked. It doesn't mean that um, the world doesn't applaud him for what he's done, but that he's he tied to his himself life. feels... But he was not applauded during his uh, lifetime. Okay. Well, he was and he wasn't, but I could see why he'd be afraid of speaking out, because he was forced to retract his theory that the planets revolve around the sun. And so he didn't talk about it for 10 years because the Inquisition told him not to. So maybe it comes from that. Okay. I'm just going to tell him there's no need to be scared. And we're not here to question him. We're just intrigued about what he has to share for himself. I just feel like a, a bit of a sadness or a weight in my stomach, like... Oh, it was a bit of a, a stressful life or, or times in his life that felt like a bit of a, a battle. Um, what kind of battle? To stand in your truth and, and keep saying what you believe even when people don't. I feel like he could have been quite lonely at times, quite an isolating person to be. I do feel like there were people around him who who supported and had similar insights, but... There's just this feeling of it, it being a bit of a weight to keep 
pushing for what you believe in and your theories. It's interesting because when the verdict came out, well, there was two. So the first time somebody gave his publication to the Inquisition, and then that's when he was ordered to recant this theory. So he actually did for a long time. But then there, a new pope um, came into power who was a friend of his and was you know, friendly to his ideas. And under his encouragement, he started working again on this other book, which was like a dialogue between this guy and you know, presumably him discussing these various ideas. And in the end, I guess it came out a little strongly against like the person who was would like stumble and contradict themselves and so the public reading that would be like well this guy's an idiot and obviously doesn't know what he's talking about so it did end up supporting this idea that the planets revolve around the sun heliocentricity is that what it's called anyways and so then he was brought up again in front of the inquisition ordered to show up in rome and then that time he was accused of suspected heresy. If it had been actual heresy, he would have been tortured and probably killed. But it was suspected, so he was put under house arrest for the rest of his life. Yes. So that is very isolating. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. And that just makes those feelings that I have in my body even stronger. It just makes me want to, like, breathe a big sigh of relief, but the relief doesn't come. It's more like I'm holding my breath, actually. It's like being falsely accused, really. You're in prison for something that you know is wrong. Like, that would be really hard. And it feels frustrating. I feel frustrated in my chest. Like, there's no, there's not even any point in speaking because why I have spoken, I haven't been listened to. So I just kind of give up. Interestingly, during that time in house arrest, I mean, there was some kind of decree that said, like, none of his books, like, all his books were banned or something, right? But he did publish like a, do they call it a seminal work? Like um, This book that he published while he was under house arrest had it published in Holland to avoid the censorship. And, you know, Einstein and other people like that say like that was base of modern physics. Because mm. it was all on like mechanics and propulsion and all this stuff. So he was able to still, I mean, it was based on work he'd done many, many years before that but he was still able to produce something new and important, even maybe while feeling all that. I feel like this there could be some room for healing here for him um, because it doesn't feel like he's aware of how recognized he is now and appreciated he is. I'm just gonna check that because he could have just been showing me how he felt in life, but he doesn't actually feel like that anymore. So I'm gonna double check if that's past or the present it feels like there's still a weight attached to him from this life of everything that i was saying that he felt it does feel like there's another part of him that has kind of moved forward and i'm sure he's lived life since then but there's definitely a fragment of his soul maybe that doesn't feel quite healed or at peace with what happened so you want to tell us more about that it's that he doesn't know whether he wants to go through that struggle again. It was like, that's the cruel part of being human and living on Earth, is that you try to do something good, but you're punished for it. Yeah, try to advance knowledge and science and society, and a lot of people don't want that. Yeah, 
So it almost feels like he came into that life feeling a little bit naive of not knowing. I think he would have to be in order to do what he did. Mm. He probably wouldn't do it. So now he's like, I don't know if I want to do it again. Like come back to Earth, you mean? I feel like he probably has already lived at least one other life, but there's something about that life in particular, like, and those lessons that came with it, that he's avoiding a bit. Oh, I was hoping that maybe he was here right now, because he could just practice that again, standing in his truth, despite Well, that's the feeling I was just getting, was maybe it's nearly time for him to come back, and that's why he's kind of adamant, like, oh, don't make me. Really? I think he needs some encouragement, and like I said, some healing for that life. What does he need? Well, what's coming through me, and I don't know who or where this is from, it's not him, but some other being or the universe or whatever it feels like needing to remind him and other people that it might not feel in your life that you've made progress or you've made a change but it doesn't stop that from happening afterwards and I don't think he's fully accepted that Hmm. yeah so what did he do after this life did he just he hasn't been hanging out with Einstein or anything over there were they alive at the same time? No. No. <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> but he really respected yeah. him, and so I would think that Einstein would have tried to find him after he yeah. died. Galileo was around the mid-1500s, and Einstein... It was 1900s. 1900s, yeah. I don't know if it works like that up there. <laughs> I Ask if, him. I wonder if they're the same soul. Or maybe they're the same group. Something about them feels very different. Um... Perhaps both part of groups that want to progress life here. But I don't feel in my body that they're part of the same group. Um, so how did how did he become so interested in, yeah, like Brandon said, how did he become interested in the stars and the planets? And... This feels quite cliche to say, but I feel like he was probably meant to be interested in these things. But you have those moments in life where that thing clicks for you and then it's like oh this is my mission here this is my path so it feels like there probably would have been a moment where he's you know sat looking up at the sky or something and then you that question just drops in of wait what is actually going on all around us how does this work and something switches on in his brain to want to understand it and then there's this drive to understand can you say more about like when that happened I'm feeling like 16, 17. Oh, 16 years old, 17? Yeah. Years. Is there any... Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. Like one was when he saw the pendulum. I think it was in a, a university course or something and was like watching some pendulum and started measuring it against his own heartbeat mm-hmm. and started to realize that it doesn't matter how long one is, that they still go at the same rate. It's kind of a precursor to, like, grandfather clocks, mm. to telling time. And, um, and then there was another one where he, like, accidentally went into a geometry class at university because he was studying medicine and then, started, and then it, and was kept away from mathematics because it didn't pay as much. And then he, he begged his father if he could switch to mathematics after being in this one geometry class. But then again, neither of those things have to do with the stars. Yeah, I'm wondering if he was younger and simply staring up at the stars. 
maybe saw a shooting star, things like that. It doesn't mean that he had to take action at that moment, but it's like that's when the seeds planted, I feel, where something in him switches on. It's like, okay, now start mission. Mm. Like before that, he was in preparation. However, he was raised by his family. And then this is, it feels like where his mission kind of starts. And he's actually able to do something with it because he's becoming an age where education would be more serious. Yeah, he went to university and all of that. But I don't feel like, I mean, you were just saying he was encouraged not, uh, not to do maths because of finances. But it, yeah, it doesn't feel like his upbringing was necessarily um, encouraged to do what he wanted. It doesn't feel so much that it's full of creativity and open-mindedness. It feels quite narrow, but he doesn't work that way. And so there's this feeling of maybe there's something a bit wrong with me. Like, why does my brain understand things in a different way to other people? Like, he's able to see from every side and just nothing's simple to him. So he wrote a lot of books. So did he write it because of the love of writing? Or did he write it because he felt like he needed to teach us? feels like more of an enthusiasm and a passion with what he was finding out that he wrote it rather than I just want to write a book otherwise he would have written about anything. A question I have is, you know, what was it like in that time, which was what, just after the Renaissance, during the Renaissance? It's kind of meant to look that up. Like when were Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci and all those guys, they were in the 1530s? So were they after him? Anyways. No, they were before him. Pretty sure they're before him. Well, because he's, what, 1600s? Wait. He died in the 1600s. Oh, yeah, so they were before him. Yeah. So it was just like at the end of the Renaissance. Um, so I guess that wasn't so weird to be interested. And this seems that there was a lot of other people studying these things around at the same time, so it's not like he was like a real pioneer, but I'm just wondering what it was like in those times being a student of these sciences. Mm. It feels quite exciting, like there's room to to mould these subjects because something about them feels newer. Um, so there's this kind of rush and there's like space to be wrong, to not get everything right, um, and just to be as expansive as possible in your, in your thinking, in your theory. And then as time went on and, and things became proved or disproved, then that box kind of starts closing in Hmm. Um, but at the beginning which is when I feel like he was more at it he was able to there's more of a creative license there because nobody knew anything about these things so they're like I think it's this I think it's that let's see how can we how can we figure out how to prove it Mm -hmm. and it does seem like the end and also there's like a lot of simultaneous discoveries happening at the same time where it's like you know, he put forward this thing, but he was unaware that so-and-so in, like, the Netherlands had a year before brought up something similar because they didn't have the internet, so mm. it wasn't so instant finding out what everybody else... Everybody was looking at these same questions at the same time, trying yeah. to figure it all out. Yeah. Um, so I, that would have been really exciting, actually. It feels like a time for creative minds. Like, they're very intellectually smart people as well, but they couldn't be so rigid they needed to be people who 
could just think of anything. Like, just didn't even, I can't find the word. Like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks? Yeah, and not being afraid of that. And not being so rigid in their thinking. Is that one of the reasons why he decided not to do medicine? I don't think he was born to do medicine. I mean, if I feel that if he would have followed that path, free will, um, I'm sure there would have been some kind of discovery within that and he would have shifted things within that space. But it wasn't where he would have thrived the most. Yeah, and what Brandon's saying is that he, did he go in that direction because it was so much more open of a field? Yeah, that's right. Oh, what, medicine? No, no the opposite. The opposite yeah. Oh. yeah, he just felt more of an intuitive pull there. Um, and that's what I meant when I said if he would have chosen that, he would have still done something with it, but it was more aligned for him Yeah. to be doing something new. Oh, he's, um, oh, I can't think of the word. Someone who's an initiator. Um, it'd be interesting to look at his human design or something and just see what what he has in there because it feels like someone who needs to come in at, at the ground and like change things. He sounds cool. Um, I was going to ask you, what, what's his relationship to art? I feel like he appreciates it. And there's something about it, like I could see him looking at the piece and kind of looking at it upside down and from different angles. And it just kind of gets his mind ticking on the different meanings a piece could have. It's not just, here's a woman looking at the scenery. It's, it's such a, a deeper thinking thought process in that. Is it more with the techniques of painting or, or it sounds like it's more with the form of it? With the, the form imagery. and the, the message behind it. Because it's interesting that he also taught painting hmm. at some academy of art. She's obviously very talented. Like imagine that. Being like this mathematician mind type guy and then you're teaching painting also. He just feels so inspiring. And he's, I, I feel like I keep repeating myself, but it's getting people to think differently differently and outside the box. Um, almost to train a new generation of people. Train a new generation of minds. That's cool. And then he did teach at a university for many years, molding young minds. And I feel that that would have had a ripple effect throughout the years, the centuries. But at the time, I don't think he knew why. He was doing. He was just following his passion. Yeah. We also like invented lots of different instruments and things like telescopes, microscopes. I don't know, did the microscope. I think so. Versions of them. Because is it a, just turning the lens the opposite way from a telescope? I don't know. I would think so. And so he had children. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I keep sticking to a daughter that he had. And I think they had a very, very strong bond. And so uh, towards the end of his life when he was in house arrest, I think he and his daughter had a, a candle system. It had to do with putting a candle, a candle in the window. She would come to the window and he would dictate or give things to her like it had to do with a book. It was probably that last book he was writing. He was the one giving it to her to where she would take it to the publisher. I don't know if that's true, but for some reason that's that's what I I picture a lot when I yeah, think really. of Galileo. Mm. So 
you didn't read it. She, I read that she was his caretaker okay. for those last years. Hmm. So, following up to the question about you know what it was like, and he said it's a very exciting time scientifically. How does that? How did that mesh with the Catholic Church? Hmm. It feels quite separate from. I can kind of see this group of people that Galileo would have been a part of, so similar minds during that time, um, but they don't feel to be absorbed by Catholicism. So you have science over here and religion over here. I, I don't actually look at it like that. I don't. It feels too sharp-edged. Even when you talk about like him and science, it doesn't feel like, I, I don't want to call it science. It's like they don't even know that it's science. It's like creation. It's life. Um, curiosity. Yes, exactly. Curiosity. But somehow it's, over the years, it's been limited down and been called science. But it's completely the wrong word for what people are doing. Hmm. Yeah, so it doesn't feel like how we would see it now, like someone's either a scientist or they believe in something bigger, you know, like you're an atheist or a believer. It doesn't feel like that. It feels way more fluid, but they don't feel restricted or controlled by religion. They're not, I don't feel like they're pushing it to the side and saying we don't believe in any of that. It's just that they're able to zoom out a bit more. So then how did he end up what does he remember about how he ended up getting in trouble with the church? Well, this is how the creative people feel, but I wouldn't say that's how the church feel. If they're, so I'm looking at it from the creative side to the church, but mm -hmm. if I flip around and we see how the church sees them. I sense a slight bit of panic because the church can see people kind of uh, migrating towards them. Mm -hmm. It's like it's lighting up people's minds and they can see that or feel that at least. So there's definitely a fear of losing power. But I also feel like they're so well established that that would never... It's not like this would make religion crumble. It's just that as the creative people are making space for both to coexist, can the church meet them there and do that? And I don't feel like they want to. Did they look out for the church? As in, were they kind of, not secretive, but... Um, conscious of... Yeah, conscious of the church kind of watching them? I don't know which way round this is. This is. It's either at the beginning, they were fearless and then became more fearful of, oh, okay, we better quiet down a bit. Or it's the reverse, where they were fearful and then became fearless i think it's the first one fearless at first yeah yeah so how did he end up getting in trouble what's his recollection of that happening at this point were i don't know anything about this period of history but were like the church and the army or the military connected yeah yeah okay because i can see like you know when you're building up a case against somebody and then it's like finally time for the army or the military to march in and, and take you away. It's like, it was built up over a long time. And I don't know if he received warnings or not. Long time is how long? Like years or are we talking months? No years, I'd say. Really? Well, people at least keeping an eye on him. Like, 
Um, okay, he's one of, I want to say, revolutionaries in their eyes. You're saying something earlier about, you know, about like science and the church, and you're like, and then there's this group, because I was thinking of the Jesuits, because they were academics and had learning schools, but they were also religious. And he kind of fell out with those guys because he's very intelligent and I don't think he had a lot of patience. So he would kind of talk down. I think he would write, they had quite a wit on him and a, what do they call those, like a pen, you know, when they write that you can really attack people. And I mm -hmm. think he sort of mocked a few of the Jesuit scientists that are, I don't know what you call them back then. Um, scholars and then that's apparently like how they turned in one of his books and said hey church check mm. this out this guy's saying that the bible's not right better check him out they don't feel like the same people that i was talking about he's in a group with okay the people i see him in a group with i would call the modern minds and then these people that you're bringing in they they feel separate from whatever that is what was his relationship like with these Jesuit scholars? It feels like at first there could have been some integration or like working together, but they just feel so much more rigid um, and he's removed from that. So I think over time it feels like we're not aligned. Um, and to the Jesuits, it feels more like competition mm. and they, they feel threatened. And so it seems like the perfect thing to do to throw him under the bus. Why are they threatened? Because I think they begin to see that he actually is right on certain things. Like at first it feels like, you know, working together to see what's what. But then when someone's theories become correct and they weren't yours, it suddenly feels like a threat. So just ego. Yeah. Apparently there was like, I don't know, it was just like a little line that I read, but apparently there was also like this kind of, what we would call today, like an anti-science movement at the same time that all these ideas around the moon and the sun and everything were coming out. And so I was just wondering how, like if he was aware of those people, if it impacted his life in any way, and then also how, like what he thinks of the situation we're in right now, where there's people claiming they know everything about science, but then they're not actually following science or not understanding it. If we look at back then, it doesn't feel like it's until he gets into trouble that he realizes what's going on with all these groups, if that makes sense. Um, like he's so kind of in his flow, in his own world, that he's not bogged down by all these labels and containers but then he's trapped in one because he gets put there. And then he comes to think about it, but it doesn't make sense to him. And that's where like the, the feeling I was describing at the beginning comes in, of feeling like deflated and isolated and like, oh, you just want to breathe, but you can't. Um, and then I see like a container on him and there's only so much air in there and he needs more to thrive and be who he is, but he can't because he's stopped. And then if you talk about now modern times, what he thinks about that, it feels like it would go back to the conversation we were having about what actually is science and how it shouldn't really be labelled that. 
like the science of curiosity or something it should be called and that this people are too rigid nowadays and nobody wants to give up being wrong it's like even with food what's right what's wrong everyone has different opinions and very few people are willing to let there be some give and take um and he just sees it as a constant evolution and growth and just in science nothing can be stuck yeah it's like that meme of the guy from charlie brown he's like that's how you do science science is questioning everything yeah otherwise it's not science Mm -hmm. yeah there's too many agendas now around science for it to be what it's meant to be and you're right nobody's willing to be like oh maybe i was wrong about that yeah like nobody can do that yeah one of the things about science is it's it's made to be proven wrong until you can't prove it wrong it's not the opposite way right yeah because science changes like scientific fact changes every three to five years you know what was fact five years ago is completely different and then this need to make blanket statements that one Mm -hmm. thing is good for everybody and it's like especially with diet we were talking about that the other night, right? Where it's like some people they only eat meat and they swear by it, and then there's other people that only eat fruit and there's they swear by it, right? People eat fruit. <laughs> Brandon is a fruitarian, everyone. Yeah, there's I think the approach now that science is black or white rather than just letting it flow in its own way, and that's where the problems are. And there's there's less space for creative minds nowadays. I mean, I feel like it's coming back and there is more space. But we definitely went through yeah. a narrow tunnel. I mean, life. yeah. That's I a mean, good way of putting it. It's, For centuries, it's, I think. It's funny because the people who fund the scientific studies are usually the, the, the big agenda groups like the NIH. And yeah, it's, it's funded to go a certain way for a certain agenda. That's what they're finding out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they found out recently that oh, we've been testing on rats to find out that these aren't normal rats. These are rats that have gone generation after generation after generation being tested. So they're completely wrong. You you can't test on something like that. Yeah. Because they're already not rats. They are a completely like a modified species. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, it feels like when Galileo was around, it was more for the evolution of humankind and now it's like for the is devolution a word? The, the devolution of what would he human what does he think of right now? What does he think of the science at the moment? Right here, like that is not science. You're right, Galileo. You feel like he has hope for the people who are more like him, the creative minds with the the different lenses and approaches to things. But I see that as like they're on the outside and in the middle where everything is concentrated are these closed-minded black or white people. And it's like the creativity on the outside needs to permeate through that concentration on the inside. It's like color, black and white, and it needs to seep in somehow, but no one's opening the doors to let it in. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of like it's got to find its own way. Trickle through. Even push away those black and whites. Yeah. But I, I think that would take, it feels like that would take more time. Like I said, it feels like centuries of a tunnel of like industry, um, science, just closed-minded approaches. And it's only really maybe even like 60s, 70s onwards that it opened up again a bit more. 
Going back to what he wrote, so first he he got put on notice, and then he didn't. He wasn't supposed to bring up anything about heliocentricity, and he didn't for ten years. But then he started writing this book again, and the Inquisition thing was still going on. So what possessed him to publish the dialogue concerning the two chief world systems, which is what ultimately got him the conviction? He feels like a bit of a rebel. You know, he's, he's held his tongue for 10 years and he's just like, oh, what will happen if I just do it? Because I don't feel like his mind ever stopped working through those 10 years. Was there a sense of anger behind it too? It doesn't feel like anger or spite. I think it's more humorous. Yeah. Almost. It's not to teach someone a lesson. It's just, I was this thinking, is ridiculous. I was thinking anger because he has to, he's being censored. And so he's, there would be a sense of, okay, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm pushing through it. Because there was a risk, you know, like he was told not to write about it. And then he writes about it. Even though, you know, like there's two people having a discussion. So it's pretty flimsy to be like, oh, I was on this guy's side. When this guy's the one who makes the most sense, because that's what the truth is. Yeah, I was just, yeah, wondering what his intention was, was to... Just like sort of poke a little bit and be because I sort of get the sense, based on what you just said, that he's like, let me see if I can mask this and get it out in a way, but but then it kind of backfired on him because they figured out that he was, um, what's the word, mocking, I guess, or belittling the people that do think that the earth is the center of the universe. I wonder why he wouldn't write a fictional uh, author name. Or, you know, or anonymous. Doesn't really feel like an option. Not because he couldn't, just because for him that's not an option. Mm. He doesn't feel afraid. And I don't feel anger. I feel a person who's very rooted in who they are and what they're here to do and their understanding of that. And he listened to them for however long he felt he had to, but then thought, Maybe enough times past that I can rock the boat a bit again and hope that it doesn't capsize, but I guess it did. Yeah. Can you talk about his relationship with the Pope? That The Pope that was his the friend? That yeah. Is he the one who got him in trouble? Um, well, it's when he took over during those 10 years, then this new Pope came in and he had been friendly to him before. And encouraged him apparently to, to write this book and to put it, you know, because during the last one he had supported him when he was just, I don't know, a cardinal maybe. Mm -hmm. And so I think there was maybe a bit of sense of safety that came from that. But then I guess because of the work itself and it, it, it pitted the Pope against him. Okay. So it's like this Pope came in and it kind of changed their dynamic. Yeah, well, he just thought, oh, I probably don't have so much to worry about now. And this guy was like, yeah, you should write about that again or something. But then he did, and the Pope took offense. Mm. Okay, let me see with the Pope then, because it's interesting to change your tune that quickly, unless there's people around you encouraging that. I don't feel like he has anything to say on that. There's nothing really coming through. It's funny that you said that it's strange to change your mind so quickly, because... I think something I read said that the Pope was under some pressure or was concerned about 
whatever, like politics with it at the Vatican or something, mm. and then felt like he was being too soft on heresy. Um, and then was like, and then, you know, because he was kind of mocking and this, you can't stand for this. And so he turned around and said, okay, we need to go punish him. Yeah. Um, but I would think that that would be a bit of a blow to Galileo. And I wonder if that's why he's not really sharing anything, because at the time he didn't realize that that was going on for the Pope. So he was blindsided a bit. But it makes sense that that was going on for the Pope and that now he's the Pope, there's that external pressure and he has to conform. But it doesn't... Well, I was hearing, the only thing I was hearing was like, it doesn't feel... The relationship doesn't feel genuine, which I guess would make sense for Galileo to feel or even question that. How could that have been genuine if you can turn on me? But there was, it feels like this lack of understanding of what happened between them. Is he saying that ever since he died, he hasn't gone back to see how the world has viewed him? I feel like there's, there's people there showing that to him. So like his mentors or his guides or whoever would try and help him see that, encourage him to go back or just see the difference he did make. I feel like that's been a real lesson for him on the other side is soaking that in and believing in himself again. Because it feels like he came here with the characteristics to see him through, like that determination, the humour, um, feels quite fearless. But I think he did take some big blows in his life that by the end he was quite worn down. Mm. Yeah. Sad. So many crush great minds. Mm. It doesn't help anyone. People are just so scared of new ideas. It's funny, you, you take Change. a look at that time like a hundred years later and you see the good guys and the bad guys and how the Catholic Church did so much wrong to this one man for doing so much for humanity. And, and But you don't see it at the time. So mm -hmm. like a hundred years from now when we're looking back at this time, we're going to see... It's going to be so much clearer. It's going to be clear. It's, yeah. It's, and yeah, it's because you're not... It's, it's, it's funny, it's kind of like how we need to get out of our own minds and just look from above. I don't know mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. It's just not ready to be accepted as truth yet. And that will make you question your own. Um, it's like on a micro scale, if you look at your own life and you know, you've known something to be true and everyone's kind of rejecting it. And then a year later they come and say, oh, actually you were right. Or you just have to be so grounded in your truth that even if you die and no one believes you, you still believe in yourself. Yeah, that's the hardest part, I think. And it's hard to stick with that when you lose all your community yeah. and your ability to publish or study new things or mm. have access to the equipment mm. that you want or leave your house. And then you try to conform, but then you just feel dead inside because that spark that is mm. you is, is gone. And what I'm, But what I'm saying is that well, I didn't say this, but we don't look at the past like we should. You know how we say, you know, history repeats, repeats itself. itself. It's constantly doing that because we don't look at the past. We we look at the past saying, oh, they did some stupid things or wow, they did some amazing things and they were treated this badly. And then we don't look at that as now, but we constantly repeat. It's constant and constant. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I do that. We all do that with our own lives. <laughs> yeah, it's just life is a, 
in my mind, a series of loops. It's, yes. And it's whether you choose to like break that loop and do something different. And a lot of times to break a loop, you get really hit over the head to break that loop. Yeah. So it's, I guess maybe that's the way to keep humanity in its own way. Maybe that's just humanity's consciousness hitting us on the head. And then we break through something and then trudge forward. And then we slow down a little bit to calm down and all that stuff. And then we start to repeat the stuff that we weren't supposed to repeat. Then we get hit in the head again, that kind of Yeah, thing. it's not until the end that you realize, oh shit, we repeated it again. Yeah. I find that interesting when I was listening to a podcast about, you know, another branch of science, like archaeology. And whenever they have, or was it, was it Graham Hancock? Probably I was listening to some Graham Hancock <laughs> thing. And it's like, you know, this theory comes out. Somebody has a new idea, like, oh, humans were in North America long before the Clovis culture, and then just gets crucified. That wasn't even him. That was some other person said that, and crucified, and then then slowly new information, then they start to look at it like, oh, oh, look, this supports that. Oh, look, we found this arrowhead that's, and then it supports it, but he says new ideas take 15 years before they get accepted by the mainstream. So in that 15 years, people's careers get destroyed. They're self mm. They get like yeah. locked up. They get no more funding. Yeah, the funding is like, the big thing. Yeah. yeah, the same with all the scientists now. Same with medicine, scientific medicines. Um, there's this guy Zach Bush. He was saying that um, Zach Bush is an MD. He's uh, one of the few triple certified MDs. He's in med. He's in um, I think microbiology. He's um, hospice and cancer. And it was, it was during his cancer time, he found a way that was curing 80% of the cancers that were coming in and it had to do with, oh, had to do with heating up. They now are starting to do it, but it was heating up the person to a hundred and something degrees um, during chemotherapy. And that was really helping. And um, so he was all excited and he, he told his, the guy who was above him, and the guy acted excited, but so for a couple of years, I think it was a couple of years, nothing was happening. So he finally talked to this head. He goes, why, why is nothing happening? He goes, well, it takes about 20, 25 years for science to catch up. He goes, I've seen this over and over again. You're not going to be accepted until this group of people go out of power in medicine and the right. next group comes in. Yeah. And he's like, That's but this is healing 80% of the the people coming in and so he got out of that <laughs> he went to microbiology because he could um, help more people doing that so that's well, crazy and i think the refusal to acknowledge patterns and i mean this is maybe controversial but especially at the beginning of the whole covid thing where people were saying guys like you're it's just like what happened during the holocaust and everybody got so angry about mm -hmm. that what do you say nobody's we're not killing jews like how dare you insinuate that but people were like, no, look at the first steps. And they had like, I saw this notice that was like saved from 1930, I don't know what. And it was like, Jews may not go to the movie theater. Mm. Jews may not go here. And it, and it was like all those beginning steps that yeah, then down the line, they end up in the gas chambers. But the first steps were the same, mm. but just complete refusal to even acknowledge that there was any similarity it was just met with complete disdain and, and like vicious attacks. Yeah. And, and I always thought, well, hey, let's talk about this because this is rather interesting, mm -hmm. but refusal. Because back then they probably said the same thing of like, no, that's not a bad thing. 
We can do that. And then look what it spirals into. Yeah. Same thing in America where they were wouldn't let it say whites only. Yeah. Whites only. Blacks can drink out of this fountain. Whites can drink out of this fountain. Blacks have to be on this side of the street. Whites on this side. And But it's yeah. interesting how we've learned that about race. Like you wouldn't dare do that now. Like any anti Semitic remark now, you're crucified or if you're racist to someone black then crucified but when it's against someone who just has a different viewpoint it's absolutely fine because it's nothing to do with how they look or where they come from it's their mind and you could be of any race thinking those things Mm -hmm. yeah it's evolved (laughs) yeah and we are living in 1984 now yeah (laughs) i read that book recently and it's so weird to be living through it now, right? There's another book you should be called Island by Aldous Huxley. Oh yeah, I should. Yeah. You told me about that before. Yeah, it's kind of, so there's two versions of life happening right now. We have this 1984 version and this breakout version of what I would consider the island where people are like, I want my freedom. Um, I'm gonna do everything I can to figure it out. And hence we have all these these uh, kind of like, not just Bitcoiners, but um, I forget what they're called, but but they're, like Bitcoiners for the internet, Bitcoiners for not just the economy, Bitcoiners for health. And uh, I forget what it's called though. But anyway, there's this whole other world coming into fruition right now. Or has been for the last like 10 years mm. or longer. Yeah. Um, what does Galileo have for advice for us right now? There's something about his time where there was a lot of space for these explorations and I feel like he's saying these pockets come and go and it's not that there's not space right now it's almost like now you have to fight to create the space a bit more like you can do these things you might keep getting shot down but there is more freedom which feels weird to say because it feels like there isn't any freedom but there is people can keep doing this and there are more alternatives and people giving funding in those spaces. It's just, it's the getting it into the mainstream that's the hard part because there is so much censorship. But back then it feels like harder but easier because without the internet, how can you get stuff out quickly? But then also you can hide more things from people. So you can get stuff out there back then. What do you mean hide, you can hide more? Because there's not this instant, like like you say, like the people in the Netherlands doing something and at the same time, but you don't find out because it's not like, oh, click of a button, hi, I'm doing this. It might be 10 years later that you find out. So there's not so much surveillance. The surveillance is human eyes. (laughs) Whereas now the surveillance... Surveillance surveillance is is everywhere, yeah. Yes. Listening to us right now. It's probably listening to this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It hates us. Um, it's just a very different time, but what does he have to say on that? Again, coming back to there being less space, it's like, it's just information overload now that it's, it's boggling people's minds of what do I believe? What do I read? Um, it's very compacted. There's just too, there's too much going on. Does he have any advice of, okay, people are wondering what they should read, what should they listen to? How will, does he have any advice on what they would 
I guess, feel as true or see as true? Is there like any, how to navigate that path. Not, well, is there anything in the human consciousness, in the human body that can tell us, okay, this is right? I, I think that's down to feeling, but we're not taught to feel. There's too much like brainwashing done and body washing, I want to call it, or sensory washing. That if I close my eyes, I can see the black and white and I can see the color. But most people can't do that or can't sense that and they just gobble up what they're told. Um, Is there anything you can tell people what they should do? I just, I feel like there's, I hate saying this, but there's a lot of people that are just kind of lost hope. There's no, I think there's certain people that there's no hope for. (laughs) Really? Sounds terrible. Or, it's kind of like what Jesus said, the hand's there to, if you want to grab it, but they're so lost, they don't even know to do that. So there is always a choice, but I just, I definitely think, you know, it's not like everyone will get to their end of their life and be like yes I woke up because they won't so he's acknowledging that there are certain people that will never they'll never get to that understanding of feeling of what's the truth does he have a certain technique on how to do that feeling for the truth did we cover this with Jesus I can't remember I think it's going to be the same answer yeah, which it is just follow feels, your inner but knowing you, but like I'm saying we're not taught to have an inner knowing so people can't and I think it's more than a battle for the people who do have that inner knowing to push through. And it just feels like also trusting in the cycles of energy in the universe that the truth always pervades. Is that the word? Prevails. Prevails. The truth always prevails. Well said. (laughs) And, And the lie is usually shows itself after a while well that's what i mean like the 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 color i'm seeing the black and white it's so dense and heavy that i'm like you are gonna sink that is gonna Mm -hmm. sink and it's the color around it the light that's just gonna stay there and even if it can't filter in right now because there's no space for it like it will still be standing when the rest of it sinks Mm -hmm. so it does just feel like a waiting game wow yeah it's uh it's interesting now because i think the truth is out but there's no consequences for the lies. And I find that really interesting. Like there's a couple court cases slowly trudging through the system, but it's like right now people are, like it's blatant, the malfeasance of companies, of bureaucrats, they're just doing it in plain sight. We're doing this and there's no consequences. Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh yeah, oh well, they always do that, I guess, it's okay. And that, I'm like, how do we change that? Who comes together and says, look, somebody, there needs to be consequences or else then the whole thing just falls apart. Mm. Maybe the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, I think that's the whole deal. I think the system's got to break. And with these astrological cycles we're in now, I feel like that's naturally. I'm talking, that's what I'm saying. It's a natural movement that we just have to wait. And I know it's It's so frustrating. So there's this um, near-death experience where I used to listen to um, Thomas Mellon Benedict. And he's one of my favorites. And he said between, because he was shown the next 300 years uh, of our future. And he said between um, 2020 and 2040, we're going to have the biggest shift in consciousness humanity's ever had. And he says, what's so amazing about it is it's just natural. 
It's a natural progress that we go through. Um, he says nothing major is going to be like all of a sudden this this huge like aliens land and hello, this is what what you do. It's like this natural human consciousness advancement. We're like ants, right? We're like this part of this huge sort of common, what do you call that, soul? Or you know how like mm-hmm. ants just operate under this computer system or something? Mm-hmm. It's the same, right? And, and there'll be like little ones coming through and eventually the whole thing shifts mm-hmm. because we're all connected somehow. And I think we just have to trust in that. Like if you think back to when you were more of a logical thinker or you didn't believe in the things you did now and thought they were ridiculous if there was ever a time um you eventually you did shift out of it and sometimes there's no huge event that makes that happen it's just you did yeah this and this and this little yeah. thing here and that thing there yeah. all adds up and it's really interesting kind of the opposite happens too is when i remember when i was younger i believed in aliens and all this stuff and then i started going to church and then i started okay those aren't aliens those are demons Mm-hmm. And then, like, I used to see ghosts or angels and things like that. And then I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to see angels, so I must have been seeing this instead. But then you have to go back out of that. And that was, getting out of that was f- so frightening for me. Really? Like, because I kept thinking, I was like, oh, no, this is the devil telling me to think this way. It took me years just to come out of that, and it was really interesting. It's such an indoctrination. Yeah, we're just unlearning everything. Yeah. We've been taught in this life and remembering everything we came into this life with. Because mm-hmm. we were raised in the in the age of the religion of science. And so we need to break out of that dogma. Mm-hmm. I feel like we need to break out of religion and science. Yeah, but there, science is a religion. In my mind. Yeah. Okay. I think it can be defined under the same, you know, how you define religions. But anyways, I'm going off topic. Um, I found this uh, fun talking to Galileo. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I didn't have much to say or questions to ask. Um, yeah, anyway, but it was still very fascinating to listen mm-hmm. to. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to sit down and have coffee with him. Mm-hmm. I would love to. I was really. I wanted to. Maybe we could do another one. I really want to know his childhood and his family life. I feel like it's a good place to end. Okay. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. okay. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have any comments or uh, questions or suggestions, please send them our way. We'd love to hear from you, and we hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. It was a fun one. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Enjoy. Enjoy.